Welcome to London Lopate at Large. I'm London Lopate. This Saturday and Sunday, the After Dinner Opera Company will present the New York and orchestral stage premiere of Sacco and Vanzetti at Lehman College Studio Theater, 250 Bedford Park Boulevard West in the Bronx. It'll be the first fully staged orchestral production of Mark Blitzstein's opera with a cast of 35 singers and orchestra. It's directed by the Bronx Opera's general director, Benjamin Spearman, and Leonard Lehrman will be conducting the orchestra. Christopher Remkes stars as Niccolo Sacco and Michael Neiman as Bartolomeo Vanzetti, along with members of the Metropolitan Philharmonic Chorus and Orchestra. Benjamin Spearman, Helene Williams, and Leonard Lerman join us now. Welcome to our show. Thank you, Thank Leonard. Thank you, Leonard. Helene, are the, are the three of you family? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At some point, haven't you sung every female role in this opera? Oh, I have, yeah, because when we were shopping it around, he did, Leonard did all the male parts and I did all the female parts. She actually did some of the female she did two of the male parts, too, in a four-part uh, uh, quartet. Yeah. I was about to say that, dear. <laughs> and you're the only remaining member of the original cast other than Leonard? Yeah, I married it and, and um, birthed it, I guess. <laughs> and she married me right after it, as a matter of fact. We've been married 20 years. It was done 21 years ago. There's one other member of the staff, not the cast, but the the um, longtime music director of the After Dinner Opera Company, Michael Bluffin, was my assistant pianist, uh, second pianist, and he is now rehearsal pianist and pit uh, pianist. He's absolutely indispensable. And so he, along with Helene, are um, the layers from, from the previous production. And Benjamin was also somewhat involved in that production. He did the video for all three of the performances at the White Barn Theater in August of, two, of, of, nine, of 2001. And so he knows the opera better than almost anybody. In fact, he, he also no. knows, Ben, you might want to talk about the, um, the other op- uh, Sacramento City Opera that you know better than we do. Well, first I want yeah, to I, go ahead. Go ahead, good Leonard. Sorry, go ahead, Miss uh, Leonard L. No, wait a minute. You're both Leonard L. This is very- <laughs> uh, Leonard Low. Uh, Leonard, didn't the story of this opera's completion begin in 1970 when you became interested in the music of Mark Blitzstein? Uh, actually, a little earlier than that. Um, 1966. I read uh, about Blitzstein in the Columbia University Forums uh, uh, article by John Pizer. And I talked about it with Ellie Siegmeister, and he loaned me his score of The Cradle Rock, which I did at Harvard in 1969. And uh, Leonard Bernstein heard about it and said, I'm glad somebody at Harvard still has taste. So when I met him a month later, he knew who I was, and uh, we hit it off beautifully. And he talked about Blitzstein uh, incessantly. Uh, and uh, then I did a, a Blitzstein-Bernstein triple <laughs> bill at, at Harvard when he came, and I uh, and yeah, I heard him yell bravo. It was one of the mo- great moments of my life when I heard that. And he, after the, afterwards, he, he, um, I asked him about uh, a, a Blitzstein uh, work that had been left incomplete that he said he was going to finish but didn't. I said, I'd like to try. And, and he said, you're going to try? And I said, I'm going to try. And, and he, he took me in his arms and said, God bless you. And it's like mm-hmm. you know, being anointed, Leonard. Uh, and you know, and, uh, when, I, when I turned 70, um, it was the tail end of the, the Bernstein centennial. And my library did a, 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 a celebration of two Leonards. It was Leonard Bernstein and Leonard Lehrman. We should have had Leonard Lopate in too, right? <laughs> well, uh, Blitzstein is credited with being a major influence on Broadway composers from the 1930s to the 60s. And didn't... Even, Leonard... even earlier than that, 1928 is a triple okay. sec was his first opera. And uh, Gershwin came to that many times. He loved it. And uh, it was a, an opera parody, actually. It was done on Broadway, part of the Garrett Gay- 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 Gaieties in 1928, 1930. And then uh, what, what happened was uh, he, he 
Well, he was kind of between two stools. He wrote both for opera and for Broadway. But Copeland and Bernstein credited him with virtually inventing American opera. That's right, because he he, he invented characters that spoke in the vernacular. Uh, and that was new to the Broadway. Just not, new to, not to the Broadway, but new to the opera stage. So, so uh, he, he could probably be. He's been called the father of the, the American opera in the vernacular, and he was he was quite an, an amazing talent and a friend of Siegmeister, who who uh, uh, encouraged me to look at his unfinished works, and I was fascinated by them. I I I felt that this was music that I could have written, and he had left so much of it incomplete. He used, well he. He said that he had completed some things that he never wrote down, and he would just perform them, you know, for, from from having them in his head the way Mozart did. Well, and, Benjamin, and, wasn't he also a, a rather controversial figure? Why? Was it his politics? Uh, yeah, I think that there the the American composers of the, let's say from World War II to the sixties all had a certain level of balance between their political sensibilities and what they wrote musically and i think that blitzstein was much seemed to be much heavier towards the political side in terms of his the choices that he made subjects he would select or even when he selected subjects that didn't seem to be political like regina which is not the, the lillian helm little foxes which at first glance might necess- not necessarily seem political would put into his choices some element of commenting on some aspect of politics, whether it was. And wasn't he once called before the House Committee on Un-American Activities? Yeah, let, let me talk about that. They, I mean, Regina was uh, a, a triumph, uh, not on Broadway, but in the Opera House. And um, that was around the time that Lillian Hellman uh, uh, was called before Hueck, very famously refused to name names and became what was called a Fifth Amendment communist. And uh, Mark Blitzstein was in that same boat and he was called before, uh, he testified only in executive committee and that was supposed to be private and off the record and, and, and not made public. But then of course it was leaked just in, uh, as he was uh, given the commission from the, uh, the, from the, the, the Ford Foundation Commission, option for the Metropolitan Opera to write a new opera, and he decided it was going to be Sacco and Vanzetti. And Rudolf Bing said, fine. Later, it turned out that Rudolf Bing thought that Sacco and Vanzetti were lovers, like Pelias and Melizade or Tristan Isolde. He had no idea what he was getting into. But uh, then George Sikorsky revealed in an article uh, that uh, Blitzstein had testified uh, under, on, uh, in executive uh, committee an executive session, and uh, that he had admitted to being a member of the Communist Party, but refused to name names. And uh, immediately it was, it, it was a scandal, and, uh, you know, people were petitions to, to, from the, the uh, uh, music clubs uh, to, to, to get uh, that commission rescinded. And uh, it, 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 was, it was still, you know, in, in effect, but uh, Mark was taking so long to write it that it effectively expired. And um, I worked at the Met. I was assistant chorus master at the Met in 1977, 78. And that was the year, 77 was the year that Michael Dukakis exonerated Sacco and Vanzetti after uh, the, 50 year, the 50 years after their execution for crimes they did not commit. And I just wanted to say one thing, which is that, yes, Regina became a success in the Opera House, but one of the things that underlines the challenge of Blitzstein is that Regina's Opera House successes really came after most of the really point political commentary that Blitzstein had put into it was excised from the performance versions that most people do of Regina when they do it. Now, he was also openly gay, but he 
Wasn't he married to Eva Goldbeck for a brief time? Well, he was as gay as Leonard Bernstein was. And, and uh, I, I asked Virgil Thompson in 1970. Was I think he was gayer than Leonard Bernstein was. Well, he was murdered uh, in 1964 in Martinique by three soldiers that he'd picked up in a bar. Well, he, it was called involuntary manslaughter. Slavers. They, they, they robbed him and beat him. And um, he died of a misdiagnosis in the hospital. He uh, uh, developed gangrene and, and died. So it was not murder, but, but yes, he was killed. Uh, and and uh, it, it was a very sad thing. It was kept from the papers for a while. They said he died in a car accident. But uh, yes, he, he, had, he had picked up these uh, sailors, not soldiers, but sailors. And they were actually from Venezuela, although they identified themselves as Portuguese. And I, again, when I spoke to Virgil Thompson at length about this in 1970, he had this theory that Blitzstein had been engaging them in a political argument, and they were very reactionary. And Blitzstein could get very uh, uh, adamant when he was drunk and, and uh, talking about politics. That was Virgil Thompson's the theory. My theory is that there's a character in Sacco and Manzetti whom Blitzstein wrote words for but never found the music for, and it's a Portuguese a criminal, a 16-year-old who was, who was a murderer and uh, then died in the electric chair at, at, uh, at the age of 23, Celestino Medeiros, who uh, was a convicted murderer and admitted to being a murderer and said that the murder that Sacco and Vanzetti were convicted of doing, he had been a part of, and Sacco and Vanzetti were not. But he refused to name names. And so they discarded his, his uh, uh, confession, which should have thrown the case out for Sacco Vanzetti. But there but, are many uh, famous names involved in this story. For example, he wrote a pro-union musical, The Cradle Will Rock, in 1937 that was directed by Orson Welles. That's right. And it and was not, how was it received at the time? Well, it could have run forever, actually, except that the, the musicians' union demanded that they use, uh, uh, I think it was nine musicians who would sit in the in, in the uh, orchestra room and uh, during the the, uh, the show and collect uh, a fee. Uh, I mean, it was about unions; it installed unionism. And it was originally meant to be done with orchestra, but uh, the WPA closed it, hmm. uh, and uh, Orson Welles got the idea of uh, getting another theater and uh, having the audience march uptown uh, and have Mark be the only musician on stage at the piano and have the, uh, the, the um, uh, actors who were not allowed to appear on stage do so from the audience. It was a brilliant idea, and, and it made the front pages of all the papers the next day. And, and it made Blitzstein's name, and, 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 and the Cradle of Rock is a sensational piece. Has uh, it been revived? Many times, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, <laughs> He also did a translated version of the Three Penny Opera and wrote a number of operas and Broadway musicals. And Leonard, didn't you complete his unfinished one-act opera, Idiots First, which was based on a story by Bernard Malamud? Yes. He, he um, became interested in his Jewish heritage while working on sacraments that he, on a trip to Israel. And then when he came back, he uh, was on the faculty briefly at Bennington, where he met Bernard Malamud and became intrigued with Bernard with Malamud's uh, Jewish st short stories. So then he uh, decided to, to uh, create a series of one-act operas called Tales of Malamud, you know, as in ta Tales of uh, Hoffman. And uh, Idiot's First was the first of them. And he claimed that he had finished it. But it wasn't quite finished. He hadn't put it all down. And Bernstein said uh, that he was going to try to finish it. Um, and then he, he gave up. And other composers were asked, William Bolcom and um, David Diamond, Ellie Siegmeister. And Siegmeister recommended me. And as I told you earlier, Bernstein gave me his blessing. And then in January of 74, 
I played him the, the finished version and he embraced me and, and, and signed a, a letter, a, a, a picture saying from Leonard to Leonard, from Herz to Herz. Here's another Leonard story, Leonard. Yes. Now, uh, I should uh, tell my audience that they're listening to Leonard Lopate at large on WBAI in New York, 99.5 FM. And my guests are Leonard Lerman, Helene Williams Spearman, and Bernard Spearman. Uh, Benjamin Spearman. Benjamin Spearman, I'm sorry. And we're talking about a, a production of yep. Mark Blitzstein's Sacco and Benzetti that will be presented in the Bronx uh, on uh, this coming this coming Saturday at 7 p.m. and then Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Lehman College uh, Studio Theater. Uh, now, uh, isn't it a a matter of pay what you can? No one turned away. That's right. This is an opera that we want people to see, regardless of how much they can afford. If if, if everybody paid 150 dollars, we still wouldn't break even. It's a very expensive production. It's a gift of my late father and his legacy. Um, but, you know, we, we want people to uh, pay what they would like to pay, what they're able to pay. And if they want to come for free, they're welcome hmm. to. Now, Benjamin, wasn't the unfinished opera discovered by a Long Island used car dealer in the trunk of what had once been Blitzstein's car? Yeah. In fact, there's a, there was a controversy when Blitzstein was murdered. Facts were sent back from Martinique by, I believe, the American diplomatic attaché to Martinique, and his effects were sent back. And Blitzstein had told people that he was working on Sacco and Vanzetti in Martinique, but that was not, in fact, true. He had not brought the materials with him. And so when all this stuff was sent back, people were confused as to where, where's the Sacco stuff? Oh, my God, it's missing. And then I believe his his car, his, was it a Peugeot? Yeah was sent to um, eventually ended up at a used car lot and the manager owner of the used car lot, a Mr. What was Van Ness. Yes. Mr. Van Ness, William Van Ness, I think it was. William, William Van Ness. Yes. Uh, opened the trunk and he, he heard a story about the fact that there was all this material seemed to be missing. And then well, he, he heard of, heard about it from Burns. Opened the trunk, Leonard. We're not going to interrupt each other. Right. Is that <laughs> um, and he it's always the, excuse me. It's always difficult when there are three people as guests <laughs> and right. me. Yeah. So there'll yeah, be a no, bit I of understand. interrupting, alas, along the way. Yeah, but but anyway, they they opened the trunk, and they found the stuff, and that that they found the music, the the materials, and they this began this process that's ended up with our production today. Well, well, Leonard, you you discovered a complete outline of the opera that he'd written in the back of a book. So there's that's a right. lot of serendipity involved in all of this. Well, I was looking for it, and uh, the people that were interested in, in possibly finishing the opera, Leonard Bernstein and his uh, student, Darren Hagen, um, did not look for it. They simply looked at the musical materials. But Bernstein said at the time that the, the first two acts were substantially finished, and that was true. The third act was very barely sketched, and it wasn't quite clear what Bernstein was going to do with that third act. But then, looking through all of his, the materials that he had assembled, hundreds of books, including one by Herbert Ehrman, uh, the lawyer uh, who was an uh, assistant appeals attorney for the Sacramento case and lived in Brookline, right near Michael Dukakis. He was his, his neighbor. Hmm. Herbert Ehrman's book, uh, and Herbert Ehrman himself and his wife Sarah, persuaded Blitzstein that 
uh, contrary to other rumors, Sacco and Vanzetti were completely innocent. And it was the Airmans that also uh, persuaded Michael Dukakis. And so that's when um, Dukakis uh, exonerated them 50 years after the, the executions. So, yes, it was the, it was Airmans' book in Bernstein's possession in his archives in Madison, Wisconsin, which I found. And at the, in the back of the book is a chronology of events. And there, very carefully and clearly sketched is Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 in Bernstein's handwriting. Didn't Blitzstein's sister, Josephine Davis, tell you that when he began writing this opera, he was thinking of the Rosenbergs? Uh, obviously, uh, there were many people who felt that the Rosenbergs were, had been, well, framed. Just as, framed just as Sacco and Vanzetti had been. Right. And, and uh, he, he, as he was thinking of them, and uh, I was thinking of them also, and um, I wrote an, a cantata called We Are Innocent, based on their letters, uh, which uh, my father and the National Committee to Reopen the Rosenberg case commissioned. And uh, it's been at 13 performances uh, with different Julius as well, though uh, Helene has always been my Ethel every time. And it was done with the Metropolitan Philharmonic Chorus and Orchestra. In fact, we created that organization uh, in order to do Ellie Siegmeister's I Have a Dream cantata and the Rosenberg cantata. And in the last scene of Sacco and Vanzetti, with the approval of the Blitzstein estate, when they sing the last words, we are innocent. They sing the chord progression from the, the, the cantata, my cantata, we are innocent. A number of people uh, have encouraged you. Uh, you mentioned Ellie Stiegmeister and Linda Bernstein, but also Nadia Boulanger. <laughs> Nadia Boulanger was very fond of Mark Blitzstein. In 1958, he wrote a beautiful article for Modern Music on her sister, uh, Lily Boulanger, who has become more and more appreciated lately, but at the time wasn't so much. And she appreciated what he had done immensely. So when I came to study with her, when Siegmeister sent me to her, I, uh, I, I mentioned Blitzstein, and she, you know, she was very warm to, to his work. And uh, that was in 69. And then I went back to study with her again on a Fulbright in 71, 72. And I brought with me the, um, uh, uh, the score of, of uh, the incomplete score of Idiots First that I had analyzed with Siegmeister. And I analyzed it with her. It took three weeks because by that time she couldn't see anything smaller than about uh, an inch high type. Uh, so I had to play it for her and she had to make, had to play it over and over again until she understood every voice that I was playing. And uh, it was a 45 minute opera, but it took three weeks for me to, to play it for her and for her to understand it and help me analyze it and see where it was going. And uh, that, that, that was in uh, 71, 72, and then in 73, I finished it. I, I put, put to, and, and it was, it's interesting, Leonard, you know, the, 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 there were, I was at Cornell at the time and studying Russian opera and the different ways that operas over the years have been completed, especially in the Russian tradition, particularly Modest Mussorgsky. The only Russian opera that Bronx Opera has ever done is Sarchinsky Fair, which was actually completed by two different composers after Mussorgsky's death in two different ways. Hmm. The, 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 the version that, that Bronx used was by Vissarion uh, Shebalin, and he used the method that I used or that he had first, which is just take the materials that's there and develop it. And don't, don't create any original themes, just develop what's there and, and, and make it coherent. And um, uh, Nikolai Cherepnin, on the other hand, uh, did a, a different uh, uh, completion of uh, Sarachinsky Fair, where he took unfinished works or incomplete or or unknown works of Mussorgsky and strung them together as a series of jewels. <laughs> they were like diamonds. Uh, and and it, it, the, the work is not quite as coherent, but it's very brilliant. And those are two different ways to complete an opera. I used the first one with Idiots First, 
because it was virtually complete and I could use only the materials that were there and develop them. But when I completed Sacco and Vanzetti, I had to go into Wittstein's other works, which he was doing himself. He, he wrote a beautiful urban folk opera uh, called Reuben Reuben that took place in, in Little Italy in New York, but it never got to New York. It closed in Boston. It was about uh, a phonia and the failure to communicate. And as Kit Davis, uh, uh, his nephew, said, this show about uh, difficulties communicating could not communicate with its audience. The audience didn't know what it was about, but it had some of his most beautiful music. And he himself was taking from it and putting it into Sacco and Vanzetti. The Little Italy uh, atmosphere was absolutely you know, appropriate. And uh, with a woman to be, his, the, the only aria that he completed is based on a fragment from Ruben Rubin. And I took 11 other songs from Ruben Rubin, as well as some of his coming songs and other pieces that he wrote over the years and found the dramatic context in which they would fit and, uh, and, and put them together. So um, I wrote more of the opera than Blitzstein did, but I used very few original themes. They're almost all his themes. In fact, the one scene that I used an entirely original theme, which he didn't write at all, were cutting. That's a, a, a act three, scene one, we're cutting in order to have one intermission rather than two in this three act opera. That's a scene that we've, we've uh, posted online uh, where the uh, appeals attorney, William Thompson, is, uh, is inveighing against secrecy and how the government is, is uh, uh, not uh, providing exculpatory evidence and how horrible secrecy is and it, and it leads to tyranny. Very appropriate today, but that, that's a scene that had to go. I, I sacrificed it because I thought it was the, really the only scene in, in the opera that was completely Leonard Lehrman and not at all Mark Putzstein. Well, you've written 12 operas of your own, so... Uh, Ten, including the two. Uh, yeah. So in this case, you had to get into his mind rather than uh, just rely on your own instincts? Well, I had to see how he constructed opera and what he did and, and, and how he reworked other materials from his own work. And, and uh, for example, I, I, I found a, a May Day march from uh, 1934 called Into the Streets May 1st on a, a text by Alfred Hayes, who wrote Joe Hill. And um, th th that was part of a composer's co collective uh, con contest. Ellie Siegmeister, Aaron Copeland, and others all set that to music. Herbert Haufrich and uh, Copeland won won the contest. Siegmeister said later, just because he had a big name, they, they decided that he, they would give him the prize. But uh, Blitzstein set uh, the the May this this May Day uh, uh, parade uh, to music, and I decided well, well, I decided to make it a Memorial Day parade. And instead of a communist march, it became a jingoistic, xenophobic march and quoted from war, war, kill all the dirty huns from from uh, from uh, the uh, uh, from the cradle rock in it. So I was reworking, you know, getting into Blitzstein's mind and, and, and reworking it in that way. And, and there were several other instances like that, too. Um, uh, I think we're going to hear some some of the music. Yeah, that, we, uh, we will in just a moment. Okay. Uh, but uh, before we do, Helene, it said that Blitzstein loved the gray errors between singing, speaking, and ranting. <laughs> <laughs> did, did that require strong acting skills on your part? <laughs> I guess, of course, it does. And, and uh, do you agree? Of course, I agree. The, the the nuances, the nuances, and the the, the different choices that that I had to make, um, uh, not so much in this piece. But in his other works, such as Fraught, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, premiered by Carol Channing. And um, since he was a gay person, uh, I was thinking, well, you know, this is the words, the, the lyrics to, to Fraught are very much of a gay, uh, a gay piece. 
hurdy wordy blues I've got them over wordy blues I've got oh my tongue does this and that my god it just screams oh I know what this is about but uh, his his um his musical works are are, are delightful and um and fun because there are so many different things you can do with them and it can be over the top and helene has sung more and recorded more, more blitzstein than any other soprano thanks to leonard lehrman <laughs> well actually we're not going to hear you sing no. we're going to listen to something michael neiman singing Vanzetti's last statement. No, it's not Michael Neiman. It's James. It's James Sergi. Oh, it is. Okay. Uh, anyway, from, Vanzetti's last. Yeah. I just assume because he he's playing Vanzetti. And we haven't uh, recorded it yet with him. We will. Anyway, we will hear uh, the, the, from from the opera. Where does this appear in the opera? It's Act three, scene four, part two. It's Vanzetti's last statement. It's the most famous words uh, from the libretto. Okay. Well, let's listen to it here on Leonard Though Paid at Large. My friend, you'll believe we will die. Don't take it too hard. If it had not been for this thing, I might have lived out my life talking at street corners to scorning men. I might have died unmarked Unknown a failure Now we are not a failure This is our career And our triumph Never in our full life can we hope to do such work for tolerance, for justice, for man's understanding of man as now we do. By an accident, our words, our lives, our pains, nothing, the taking of our lives. That last moment belongs to us. That last moment belongs to us. That agony. 
is our triumph. Vanzetti's last statement from Mark Blitzstein's opera Sacco and Vanzetti. Uh, Now, that was was rather eloquent for a guy who was a fish peddler. Well, those those words of his have been cited as a classic example of of immigrant speech at its finest. And uh, in fact, uh, James Thurber incorporated it into his play, The Male Animal. There was a movie with Henry Fonda reciting those words in class and uh, being hounded for it. Um, it, it, it's an amazing speech, and it was uh, taken down by Philip Stong, who was a cub reporter who later wrote the, the uh, play Stage Fair, or the, the book Stage Fair, which became the Rodgers and Hammerstein film musical. Uh, and uh, Stong is a character in this, of course, and he takes this down as, as Renzetti is saying it. And the music for this was the first music in the opera that I actually completed because Wittstein completed the entire melody line and most of the accompaniment, but he left uh, the middle section uh, bare. And um, it was premiered by Aaron Peterson uh, in 1995 at, Blitz, at the Medicine Show for Blitzstein's 90th birthday. And uh, then I proceeded to, to work on the rest of the opera after that and finished it in, in 2001. Now, I want to say that uh, one of the reasons that we wanted to start with this is the next clip that we have for you um, is uh, one that was created for us. And I, I want to give Benjamin credit for having uh, had the idea to ask for this. Michael Dukakis uh, exonerated Sacco Manzetti in 1977 after Blitzstein's death. But the, the Blitzstein estate and I agreed that that was that brought closure to the case. And if Putzstein had been still alive writing the opera, he would have closed the opera with it. And that's what we did. And we you, have, so you included the opera, the, the speech into the opera. That's right. And this the music that you just 1977. heard. Is, and the music that you just heard, Vanzetti's last statement, is the music that is played underneath the Dukakis statement. And for this production, we have something unique that nobody's ever had before, which is an actual recording made for us by Michael Dukakis reading that the portion of that statement that we used in the opera. And that was, as I said, I give Ben credit for asking for it, and we, and we got it. It's when he declared August 23rd, the 50th anniversary of their death that year, Sacco and Vanzetti Day in Mass. That's right. We don't have that part in the opera. We have the the, the more, well, you, well, you'll hear it, and, and it's, okay, it's, well, it's quite we'll, amazing what, what he says. Well, first, let me tell the audience that they're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, and I am speaking to Leonard Lehrman, Helene Williams Spearman, and Benjamin Spearman about Sacco and Vanzetti, Mark Blitzstein's opera, uh, that will be presented uh, two times this weekend uh, at the Lehman College, not Lehrman, the Lehman College <laughs> Studio Theater uh, on, in the Bronx, uh, which includes a cast of 35 singers and orchestra conducted by Mr. Lehrman. Uh, so l- let's listen to what, Leonard du- uh, what Michael Dukakis said. I almost said Leonard because <laughs> there were so many <laughs> Leonards involved here. <laughs> The trial and execution of Sacco and Vanzetti should serve to remind all civilized people of the constant need to guard against susceptibility to prejudice, intolerance of unorthodox ideas, and failure to defend the rights of strangers in our midst. Any stigma and disgrace should be forever removed from the names of Nicola Sacco 
and Bartolomeo Vanzetti. I hereby call upon the people of Massachusetts to reflect upon these tragic events and draw from their historic lessons the resolve to prevent their reoccurrence. Ben, can you tell Their reoccurrence us? were words that I asked him to say, and they actually summarized a great deal more of the statement, which was a very, very long proclamation, but I thought we got the kernel of it, don't you? Yes. Uh, ben, can you tell us about the Sacco and Vanzetti case? We have a, a shoemaker and a fish peddler from Italy, right? What were they accused Yeah, it's a, sh- a shoemaker and a fish peddler, and they were clearly both very strong anarchists. They were clearly both very dedicated to the political cause um and as we see and hear in this in this opera that the the words of blitzstein and then leonard selected to to set they're both people of great eloquence and of a certain uh of a certain uh dignity and you know majesty as leonard as he said as the as the opening chorus says of them but for all that they you know for all their political beliefs they they were pretty clearly innocent of these crimes and you know our justice system supposedly looks at things case by case but i think one of the things about this these cases is that it underlines the fact that there are political influences exercised upon the judiciary and i think we're seeing that nowadays with how the supreme court rules and the choices that they make and the selection of who is on those courts so I think that this case, that this this story is important to tell because these two people, whatever their beliefs and whatever their opinions, and you can like their opinions or not, or agree with them or not, they didn't do what they were convicted of doing. But it took place at a what time matters. of anti-immigrant backlash. Yeah, right. World I mean, War after World War One was a tremendous time of jingoism in this country, and we and this country has always been afraid of any opinion, especially socialistic or anarchistic, that went against the norm. And I think that's what they got these guys killed ultimately. So, Helene, what were they accused of? You're muted, muted, Helene. You're muted. Unmuted. Robbery and murder. <laughs> Robbery and murder. And the, the interesting thing is um, we needed some pictures for our production, and I'm, I'm doing genealogy, and so I have the wonderful uh, uh, resources that Ancestry.com uh, and Newspapers.com provide, and I went in and in just a few seconds found pictures of these people, but along with the pictures there were newspaper articles and the most heart-rending descriptions of, of, of Rosa Sacco and, uh, and her tears and her pleas. It is just, every time I read an article about this, I, I'm ready to burst into tears. It's just so sad. It's such a miscarriage of justice, injustices, um, 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 uh, promulgated by the legal system and people just trying to bolster their own careers and and save face. Yeah, they were accused of murdering a guard and a paymaster during uh, an yeah. armed yeah. robbery of the the Slater and Morell Shoe Company in South Braintree, Massachusetts. Right. Now, why mm-hmm. them? How strong a case? Was there against them? Was it uh, obviously if, since they were innocent, it was based on shaky evidence. Weak, very weak, very circumstantial, very weak, based on partial identifications that really could have been of almost any 
any man between five foot five and six foot five. I mean, honestly, it was really, there was a focus on Italians did this, that there was a larger gang of, of, of guys that probably were known to be a group that committed these kinds of crimes. But ultimately the cops and the DA and the, and the system at the time wanted, needed a scapegoat for these crimes. And they found them in Saquon Vanzetti. And ultimately, even when it became pretty clear with the Madero's confession and other identifications that made it pretty clear that the witnesses really weren't sure what they'd seen, the system just had decided, nope, we're going to, we're going to fry these guys. And, and, and also because it becomes such a cause celebre, it, it, the, the system could not could not handle the idea that, of admitting that they were wrong. And there came a certain point where even when public opinion really swung towards Sacco and Vanzetti, the system itself could not could not change its mind. And I think that that's the power of Dukakis's words. And that's why I felt we needed actually to have Dukakis rather than an actor speaking these words. And instead of the power of the sound, as opposed to seeing someone who wasn't Dukakis reading them. So the case itself was as weak as could be could possibly be imagined. It, it, it does have a certain Central Park Five vibe to it, except that case was actually much stronger than the case against Stockwin Benz anyways. But you say it uh, drew worldwide attention and a wide range of people protested on their behalf, including a a future Supreme Court justice, Felix Frankfurter, but also, to my surprise, Benito Mussolini. Mussolini defending anarchists? And the Pope, too. (laughs) The Pope also defended these anarchists? Well, Mussolini's... Political leanings were sort of whatever he needed them to be at a particular moment. I think he was defending Italians rather than anarchists. Ben, talk talk about the uh, the focus on Italians versus anarchists between uh, this opera and the other opera that you know better than we do. Well, Anton Coppola, who's sort of a legendary conductor and composer, wrote an opera of Francis Ford Coppola's uncle. In fact, he's the conductor in the Godfather Three movie, if you ever see that movie. Anyway, Coppola wrote this opera also called Sacco and Benzetti. His focus was much more that they were railroaded and executed because they were immigrants and who happened rather than this opera, the Blitzstein Lehrman opera, which really focuses on their status as anarchists, were also Italians. Like the, the, the secondary, still important motive of the system was 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 not seen a what it, it, it changes the focus of what the compo- particular composer looks at. Anton Coppola was an Italian born he, born here in nineteen nineteen I think in nineteen nineteen actually. Um, yeah. um, and so his focus, what he grew up with, was much more the injustice that was was uh, leveled upon immigrants and Italians, particularly. Yeah, and Italians in particular, which was his community. But Coppola. Um, Coppola's, in Coppola's mind, the anarchism, the anarchism was sort of just the coup de grace, as opposed to the reason for the for the for them being killed. Whereas Blitzstein looked at it from the other other side, and obviously Leonard does Leonard Lernan does as well. Well, Blitz, Blitzstein was actually working on the opera in Rome, uh, and we're going to have a picture of him on a, at his penthouse in, in towering Rome. Uh, when people come in uh, to the auditorium, they'll see that. Um, and uh, Helene and I have actually visited uh, uh, where where he had uh, been working on it. We also visited his cousin in Haifa, Israel, where he was also working on it. And uh, and he had a very uh, he he had an, uh, an Italian uh, approach. He had his whole scene in Italian, in fact. But uh, he had an internationalist approach. He he felt that they that 
that Sacco Vanzetti belonged to the world and not just to one nationality. And that's, I think, what Sacco Vanzetti would, would think also. And they we were. Know what they they, 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 <laughs> it, it dragged on. They were executed in the electric chair just after midnight, ninety uh, something years ago, August twenty third, nineteen twenty seven. Now, isn't a key to the Sacco Vanzetti case the investigative work of appeals assistant attorney Herbert Ehrman? That's right. He he convinced Mark Blitzstein that they were innocent of the crime. That's right. He he he. Well, what he did um, was uh, he showed photographs of uh, Joe Morelli, of the Morelli gang that was uh, work, that Medeiros uh, had worked with but refused to name. And uh, he, he showed photos of, of, of Joe Morelli to the witnesses that had identified Sacco. And they looked at the photos and said, that's Sacco. And that, that's, it, it's, it's such a moving uh, a moment. It's not in the opera, but it is in a TV play for the NBC that Reginald Rose wrote. Reginald Rose wrote later, you know, Twelve Angry Men and the and the Defenders. Yeah. In fact, E.G. Marshall, who of the Defenders, plays William Thompson, the uh, the appeals attorney, in that TV play. And Blitzstein was in the studio when they made that, and he had access to the to the uh, uh, the script and made notes on it. And uh, yes, Airman was very important in persuading him. And and another uh, person was Al Alexander Chella, who was a, a, a state councilman, I think, in 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 Massachusetts, in Boston. And he kept bringing uh, 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 resolutions for pardoning or exonerating Sacco uh, uh, Vanzetti to the, the uh, legislature, and they went nowhere. They, the, the debate went round and round and round. Blitzstein wrote a whole scene about that, which we ended up cutting because we knew what, how it ended up uh, with the, the Dukakis exoneration. We didn't need that scene. Uh, but Dukakis told me that Al Cella was a very good friend of his and also was a strong influence along with the airmen on getting him uh, to come around to uh, exonerating them. Um, we, we also visited... Uh, uh, Torre Maggiore and Villa Paletto, the hometowns of, of Sacco and Benzetti in, in northern and southern Italy. And um, they, um, they, there's a, an eight-foot monument uh, to Sacco uh, over the, his ashes. And uh, exa- on that eight-foot monument is, is engraved in stone an Italian translation of the Dukakis exoneration uh, statement. And they asked us at the time, remember, Helene, they said, Michael Dukakis ran for president. Uh, why didn't he win? <laughs> Thinking about Willie Horton, I said to them, well, they said that maybe he pardoned uh, too many people. And they thought, oh, my God, all of a sudden, Sacco's hometown, Torre Maggiore, is the center of the universe. You know, it was it was an incredible moment. And they gave us a plaque. And uh, it was it was just a wonderful uh, experience. And one of the pieces that we're going to hear, I think I hope we still have time, uh, is a piece that Blitzstein wrote called The Hills of Amalfi. I was going to get to that in just a moment. I I First, I'm I, going I, to tell there's the a audience. nice story about it that I want to tell you. Okay, <laughs> I want to hear that. I was just going to tell the audience that my guests are Leonard Lerman, Benjamin Spearman, and Helene Williams, and we're talking about a production of Mark Blitzstein's opera, Sacco and Benzetti, that will be presented uh, this coming Saturday and Sunday at the Lehman College Studio Theater, 250 Bedford Park Boulevard, West in the Bronx. This is Leonard Lopate at Lodge on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. So tell us about this other excerpt from the opera that we have queued up called The Hills of Amalfi. Thank you, Leonard. Well, do you remember uh, uh, um, now the, the critic? Uh, uh, help me, uh, the Village Voice critic. Uh, uh, 
Why is his name? Leighton Kerner. Leighton Kerner. Thank you. I think Leon Kerner. Well, his voice has had many critics over the years. Leighton Kerner was. I'm glad it was Leighton because that's the only one I remember. Leighton Kerner was a terrific critic who uh, was very, very fond of Blitzstein. He came to performances of Tales of Malamud, wrote it up, and and gave us the first off-Broadway Opera Award for most important event of the season in 1978. And he uh, wrote about Blitzstein many times, and one of his favorite songs was the one that we're going to hear. It's called The Hills of Amalfi. It's from Ruben Rubin. And it is a, a, a unique song because when Helene and I w- were traveling from uh, Villa Paletto in northern Italy to uh, Torre Maggiore in southern Italy, the hometowns of, of uh, Vanzetti and Sacco, respectively, we passed the, uh, the Hills of Amalfi. It was so beautiful, the coast of Amalfi uh, from the train. And this song started ringing through my head. And I said, oh, my goodness, the Hills of Amalfi. My Torre Maggiore, my Villa Faletto. We can put this into the opera and, and show how they're longing to go back to uh, their hometowns because they were planning. Sacco and, and his wife were planning to visit their, their relatives in Torre Maggiore when, when he was arrested. So this becomes the middle of the second act, which in our production is the the, the, the uh, act closer. Uh, the, people, the people go out singing in, in intermission. And um, we have a recording of the of the version of Torre Maggiore and Villa Faletto, which was actually sung at our wedding uh, in, in 2002. But this is the original song that uh, James Sergi and Greg Mercer and Helene sing uh, on the album, Mark Blitzstein songbook. And it's the original from Ruben Rubin called uh, the, the Hills of Amalfi. My Nina, I see the hills of Amalfi, the hills of Amalfi you bring back to me. I see the spring, spring in the hills of Amalfi, the sun. My Nina, in your mouth, my Nina, the wine lives again. Smile for me then, Nina, and the hills of Amalfi will shine again. I see the hills of Amalfi. Hills of Amalfi, you bring back to me. I see the spring, spring in the hills of Amalfi. The South Country lives in your eyes, my Nina, in your mouth, my Nina. The hills of Amalfi. <laughs> I've always heard of the Amalfi Coast, but I never heard of the hills, but they must be beautiful. 
That gorgeous. Isn't that a gorgeous piece? Yes. Who's yes, it's a very rocky. Now? It's a very rocky uh, viewpoint. There, you you get the rocks on the on, on one side and the ocean on the other. It's just amazing. And you were one of the singers on that, Helene. I sure am. I'm <laughs> you are the female voice. I am the f- indeed. Uh-huh. <laughs> she sang all the female roles, including that one. And of course, we changed it only slightly. Instead of uh, my Nina, it became a Rosina. And uh, in singing, uh, instead of Amalfi, it became Tora Maggiore and Villa Falletto. And at one point, uh, uh, Benzetti sings about the Maira, the river that runs through uh, Villa Falletto, which we saw and photographed. It's now a very small stream, but he was talking about the Maira, I see, Tora Maggiore, my Villa Falletto. So, uh, yeah, come and hear it uh, with orchestra for the first time. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's talk about that for a moment. You have a, a large cast here. Uh, I, I'm not going to go through all the names, but also members of the Metropolitan Philharmonic Chorus and right. Orchestra. We have tw- uh, 20 in the, in the, in the cast and uh, 27 in the orchestra. And uh, it, as I said, it'll be presented by the After Dinner Company. That's your company? The After Dinner Opera Company was founded the uh, year I was born, or just after it, in 1950, um, by Richard Flusser. And one of their first uh, productions was Triple Sec of uh, Mark Blitzstein, uh, who was a very uh, adamant and, uh, uh, fan and, and uh, uh, patron of theirs, as was Leonard Bernstein. And uh, Richard Flusser uh, approached me when I had finished Idiot's First because he was interested in that opera, which he never did. We had four productions of it, but After Dinner wasn't involved. However, After Dinner Opera was involved in the very first uh, opera commissioned uh, by the Puffin Foundation that I wrote with Jill Shatsky, and it was the very first original opera that Ben Spearman directed exactly 30 years ago, New World, an opera about what Columbus did to the Indians. Richard Flusser and After Dinner Opera presented it at Lincoln Center in 1991, and then Ben directed it in Hetekshire Park and Donald Library in 1992 and 93. And uh, I want to give Ben a chance to, to say something, because he told me that the, this, this opera, Sacrament that is only the second original opera that he's directed, but he's directed 125 operas, and this year he's got two more premieres coming up too right well then that's right yeah so oh so you've been uh directing a lot of operas <laughs> yeah yeah the, the new world was sort of the beginning <laughs> of my work as an opera director and i've been doing it new world was in 92 and i've been they've directed 125 productions of about 65 70 different operas i need to go back and count but Wednesday <laughs> is my first premiere since new world and actually i've got two more coming up in the next um Two months, so it's that's Benzetti is sparking the my my <laughs> fall. Well, we have very little time left, but I was wondering, yeah. Leonard, whether yeah. you feel that you and Blitzstein are kind of kindred spirits because you've said that your teacher Earl Kim at Harvard told you you're between two stools. You have one foot in the classical world and the other in the popular theater field yeah. world, and that's exactly what Blitzstein had. That's right. You're quoting from David Stern's article, an interview with me, uh, David Patrick Stern's in the Empire, a lovely article. And uh, well, Siegmeister also felt that that I was, uh, uh, he, he knew that, he, he said, you completed a lot of Blitzstein. I hope when I die that you'll complete some of my works because I consider you my, my, not my disciple, I don't believe in doctrine, but I call you my continuator, which will be, it's going to continue when I finally get my memoirs written, that will be the title. And Leonard Bernstein told Richard Flusser, Mark, uh, Leonard Lehrman is Mark Blitzstein's dibbuk, mm-hmm. meaning... Uh, someone that completes things that 
need to be done. Okay, so if people want to attend either the uh, Saturday performance at 7 p.m. or the Sunday one at 3 p.m. at Lehman College Studio Theater at 250 Bedford Park Boulevard West in the Bronx, how do they get there if they're not Bronx residents but would like to see this? They well, get and there and on do they the have to make information? Train. Do they have to the get entry. reservations? Yeah, well, reservations are encouraged because there are only 99 seats, and we said no one would be turned away, and we mean that. Uh, but uh, if we have too many reservations, we we don't know yet. We don't. We, we we're we're not fully subscribed yet. And and the way to subscribe, the, the way to to reserve is to uh, go to brownpapertickets.com, five 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 zero 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 zero. That's brownpapertickets.com, 555-000. And you can pay for you know up to $250 or, or zero, whatever you... I need to say one other thing about that. If you go to brownpapertickets.com and you just type in as a search term, SACO, you'll get to us. And I want to thank the three of you so much for being on our show today to talk about this uh, newly staged premiere of Sacco and Vanzetti at the Lehman College Studio Theater. My great thanks to Benjamin Spearman, Helene Williams, and Leonard Lerman for Thank being you on so our much, show. Leonard. Thank you, Leonard. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you'd like to check out more of our one-hour interviews on one subject, you can access our archive of over 700 shows at WBAI.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. Check us out on Twitter also. And if you'd like to reach me directly, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. Right now, I, didn't, I need to ask you to consider stepping up and supporting WBAI as we struggle to stay afloat during these difficult times. We're asking all of our listeners who haven't taken the step already to make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep the unique in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. That's give and the number 2WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member for 10, 15, 20, however many dollars a month that you feel comfortable with, what we call a BAI buddy. We're offering a BAI tote bag to anyone who signs up to become a BAI buddy for $10 or more a month. But either way, I hope you'll call right now because BAI relies 100% on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants, which allows us to be completely free speech radio. Once more, the number 212-209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org and help support independent radio. Uh, And don't forget to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at Lodge and from all of us at the station, thank you very much and hope you can join us tomorrow when Phil Allen Jr. will discuss his book, The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. We'll see you then. <laughs>